You're listening to a One Fine Baby podcast. One Fine Baby acknowledges the traditional owners of land and water that this podcast is recorded on and pays respect to elders past, present and emerging. How many times have you winced your way through that cold cup of coffee just for the caffeine kick? Or tripped over the same toy you've put away 10 times? We have toothpaste on our t-shirt and tiny humans screaming our name. The Cold Coffee Hot Mess Podcast is here to bring you the real side of parenting and serve up the juiciest survival hacks for this season of life that you can implement today. Well, hello. Oh, hello there. Welcome back to the Cold Coffee Hot Mess Podcast. Podcast. We are here. We're in your ears. We're happy. Yep. Nadine here. And you've got Olivia Olivia over there. I always forget to introduce myself. I I just assume they know now. (laughs) Yes, they do know you, Olivia. (laughs) They do. Everyone knows Olivia. The one that talks all the crap. That's Uh, Olivia. No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. Kind of. Um, How you been? Yeah, good, good. I um, I did a little something for me recently. I'll, oh, tell me everything. You might have noticed. I mean, I have had a few. Comments I have noticed in the office. I have <laughs> seriously. I've had a few comments in the office. And I've about, asked a lot of questions. You have. So I'm glad you're sharing this. I'm really like loving how you're teasing this out. Um, <laughs> but I did a little something for me, and it wasn't like a hair appointment. Um, it was just to help with the mum pouch that we all, mm-hmm. not all of us, but most of us have after babies, um, elite body contouring. They do this thing called liposuction, and it's yeah, right. non-invasive liposuction. Okay. The best part of it is you lie down for like two and a half hours and they run this machine over, I got my stomach and love handles done, so I had three sessions. Is this like sponsored by elite no, body contouring? No, This is something <laughs> I saw kidding? back in the day when I used to work for Beauty Heaven, this started, this elite body contouring, <laughs> yeah, and they right. used to do like fat freezing. It's come such a long way since I've then. I've seen that. Like they would fat like ice cube freeze. For sure. Like, and it looked like big it, ice cubes. It effectively kills fat cells, right? I think I remember Sigourney doing that. Has had it yeah. probably. I mean, most people have. I, I had it back when I, I was 25 it. and I actually had no fat. So yeah, I <laughs> like, know. now things are different. Um, but basically <laughs> like what I've found is what's cool about this is it takes up to three months to see the results. But a lot of people have an instant result. Yeah. So they took before and after photos and geez Louise. Yeah, right. The difference. Okay. Just because it basically just targets your fat cells. It um like lasers them, I guess. Okay. And then your body sheds them over three months. You have to like, you know, eat well and Over three and months. Stuff. Oh, you have to eat well, do you? <laughs> well, I mean that's a small caveat. But um but basically, yeah, like I've seen such amazing results. I've had three it's been about over four or five months I've had three sessions amazing. and I'm like obsessed. Okay. So, and they always have fifty percent off been amazing anyway that's my little it's like a little hack and i think that was sponsored by (laughs) they always have 50 percent off not at all they they do (laughs) though that's the thing because people have asked me about it like is it expensive i'm like well it's not like super duper cheap but they always so to be clear it was not sponsored it was not just in your experience (laughs) yeah amazing what have you been up to i um school's back i'm in the thick of it i am uh was robin who said that she prefers holidays i was like you're crazy like you have to get people to look after your kids and everything now i'm like yes i much prefer the holidays you don't even have to think now. I've got to use my brain. I've got to bring them to all the activities. We got oh, basketball, Max dance, got 17, swimming. Te- no, well, I don't know. Just um, <laughs> need to run that them tired. Yeah, you got to run Max them and out. bells. Anyway, so I'm thick of it. But here we are again, and we've got an incredible guest today. We could not stop asking him questions, and like, I couldn't think of who he looked like. But it's Roger Corso from Doctor Doctor. Oh my god, that was so embarrassing. And if I, I couldn't think of the name, the everyone knows Doctor Doctor, like <laughs> except for everyone in this room. But anyway, he is an obstetrician, loveliest guy. An I'd, absolute wealth of knowledge, isn't he? he he's all about education. Yep. And I think uh, he is one of the busiest men out there. And the fact be. that he took time out for us and he takes time all the time just to educate people and, and share the knowledge. I he think gives that's clients amazing. his mobile number. I mean, I don't know an obstetrician that does that. Well, like, this is the new age and this is why I found it so fascinating. There is an old school and we all think it's that old school obstetrician. Coming Things off the golf are changing and Dr. Hugh <laughs> Porter is at the forefront of 100%. that. And that's why I'm so excited to have him on today. Yeah, okay, let's get into it. I yep. need to know more. Let's go. So today we have an incredibly special guest, someone who can offer so much sound advice for anyone who has just fallen pregnant and has a ton of questions just like I did when I fell pregnant. I'm sure you did too, Nads. Yeah, it's pretty lonely out yeah, there. Yeah, can be. not really talk to anyone. So we got the OB of OBs. We do. <laughs> or OBGYNs or whatever you refer them to. Or obstetricians for anyone who doesn't know the, the short term. Uh, Dr. Hugh Porter. And he is one of those angelic faces that you want to see supporting you in the birthing right. suite when you are giving birth. And then in those weeks in the lead up, he is a skilled obstetrician. 
Um, and Dr. Hugh of Sydney Babies delivers babies across various locations on Sydney's North Shore and has two kids of his own. So welcome, Dr. Hugh. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Awesome. <laughs> you're very welcome. Well, I think there's something just about the calming voice yes. as well. Because when you're in that, you know, birthing suite, you just want to someone to come in and have that calming, you know. That's no, you. Normally it's the nurses, but it's even better to have an obstetrician that's got that calming effect as well. Mm. Yeah, well, that's the aim, isn't it? To yeah. set up an environment that's working for the mum. That's yeah, it. that's And we're right. just there to support that. So. Calming vibe. I'm just like, I'm feeling it like a wave over me. I'm like, where were you four years ago when I was in panic stations? <laughs> That's right. And we were just talking offset um, yeah. before about how, like, what happens when you're in a traffic situation or, oh you know, the red lights and it's just like a grid. You've got a motorbike and <laughs> even a scooter <laughs> to make it happen. You've scooted previously, previously to a. scooted yeah. to a berth on my Razor scooter. Yeah. Yep. An emergency yep. C section. Right. Oh, what Can you <laughs> imagine? That would go viral so far. That would be so good. <laughs> if you filmed I that. would love to have been that woman and telling that story, yeah. But we were talking a little bit off air um, about, you know, when you do first pee on the stick. I know for me, our listeners will know that I was one of the first in my group to have kids. I had, I'm the first of my sisters. I had literally no one to talk to. And I went to the GP and said, I'm pregnant, what do I do? He confirmed the pregnancy and then he asked me, who's your OB? And I was like, I don't even know what that is. Yeah, what's what, an OB? What are you talking about? What's an OB? So why did we start with that? Well, let's start with that. <laughs> How do you, like... How do you go about finding an OB if you are pregnant and do you need one? Like what's the what's the kind of process? Sure. So, yeah, so, I mean, most people do exactly what you did, which mm. is pee on a stick mm. and then go and see their GP. Yeah. That's the, that's the classic. So the GPs really are the gatekeeper in a way yeah. and they do a lot of the early pregnancy, a lot of the legwork um, before someone gets to either the hospital or to see an OB or, you know, to see whatever model of care they're going to do. So a lot of that work's already sort of done in the background. So we rely a lot on the GPs to organise early bloods, dating scans, all mm. that kind of stuff. Most of the hospitals, the public hospitals, have like an early pregnancy clinic, like an early pregnancy service where they can see people if they've got, you know, a spot of blood or pain right. or something like that before they're even booked in. So ah. And they have services like that. But okay. we rely. So most of the time I would assume a GP is going to have a conversation mm. with a new mum, okay? Yep. Hopefully they've had a chat with some friends, but as you say, some people haven't been through it before and don't know what they're doing. Yeah. So really you've got to find a model of care that that um, suits you and that's what, you know, I guess we can talk about the different models of care, yeah. but essentially we're very, very lucky in Sydney because you've got either the public system or the private system. Mm. So everyone does need to be booked into a hospital in Sydney. Yes. That's it. That's the rule. So you've got to, even if you end up having a home birth or whatever it is, yeah. you've oh. still got to be booked into a hospital. Someone has to own you. Okay. okay. In yeah. the, you can call up someone if there's a problem because yeah. if yeah. something doesn't quite go right, you need someone. Well, imagine if you're doing a home birth and then you call, you're like, like exactly. who the hell are you? And they need to know, have some <laughs> yeah. details there. So, so the GP yeah. would typically make a referral to whoever you would like to go and see. Okay. And that might be a private obstetrician or it might be the public system. A lot of that depends on whether or not people have insurance. That's probably yes. the, the first thing if people have private health insurance, mm -hmm. but also obstetric cover. And I think some people don't realise they need that extra top up of the insurance. So a lot of people come and say, oh, I've got insurance. And then we find out they don't have the yeah, actual obstetric cover. Is that cover, an awkward which conversation? Is, oh, look, it's, I mean, it's not because for me, it's not because yeah. I mean, I work in the public system, right? So right. I'm a big, I'm a big advocate for the, for the public system. Too, You're yeah. so lucky to be here and have a baby. I mean, I work at the Northern Beaches Hospital, mm. which is an amazing public and private so hospital. Great. You're very lucky either way. Mm. Um, so in that respect, no, you know, you're not missing out so no. much, but there are certainly differences between the different models of care. For sure. No question. Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess when I when I had my first baby, I'm very much a put my blinkers on. I did not want to know anything, right? So I didn't I hate blood, hate go. I was just yeah. trusting in my obstetrician hundred yeah. percent, like you do your thing. But what what struck me is there was so much that I didn't know. For example, I was giving birth. And I needed to do a poo. And I was so embarrassed. I'm an introvert at heart. I needed to do a poo. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm doing a poo. I can't stop it kind of thing. Yeah. And she didn't care less. Like everyone was just like, this is just normal. Like if I had have known it was normal, I probably wouldn't have been so stressed mm. out about mm. it. But so in, in the I'm sense so of like knowledge. I'm so so early. <laughs> I'm like stuck. I'm like, I'm no, so but like it. just things like that. There's so much knowledge that you can gain yeah. beforehand. What? Yeah. What are the types of things we should be looking into um, going into birth, especially if we're just going on like yeah. um, vaginal yeah. or yeah. even C-sections? Like where do we go with 
how do we start that journey of yeah. knowledge? I think it's the landscape's changed massively. If you went back 30 years, and my, my dad was an obstetrician. He worked at Royal North Shore for 40 years, no delivered babies. and yeah. uh, you know. But it's a really different environment now to, I think, what it was before. And I think people have so much more um, input from other sources, social media, you know, like there's just so much education information out there, be it good or bad, you know, some of the algorithms can send you down some pretty, you know, (laughs) deep wormholes. Um, But there is, people are, I think, coming in a lot more armed with information than probably ever before. I think every OB is different. I think you'll find some obstetricians will love to sit there and talk about absolutely everything uh, and some won't. Um, I'm I'm like quite an oversharer. I'm I'm a big fan of education. (laughs) I I lecture for universities, all sorts of stuff. And so I think my style with my patients is to try and educate as much as possible, Mm -hmm. give people options and then let them kind of choose your own adventure a little bit in what they want to do, if that makes sense. Um, but there are obviously, like you say, some people who, do, who don't want to know. So yeah, you've got no, to if I'd known that, I would have known it's a good thing. <laughs> well, that's it. And that's, what, and that's exactly what I say to someone right? when it's happening. I was like, hey, we over. know it's working. Yeah. You're doing you it right. You would be scared. You would have been more. <laughs> yeah, you know, I wish I'd more. It, you know? yeah. it's, <laughs> funny, it's funny that you talk about the changing landscape because mm. I think it is changing across the board. I know we spoke to Mon from the midwife, Mama, and the whole midwife movement is definitely changing in terms of a lot more open conversations and those kind of antenatal classes that you just touched on. Mm. But um, back when I was born, my mum my mom had an OB who came in off the golf course for 10 minutes to deliver me and then went back to, <laughs> back to the golf course. To, to hole nine yeah. or whatever. Mm. But like now, talking to you, you were just saying that you call every single um, inquiry that comes through, you call them back personally to discuss yeah. whether your services are right for them, for me, OBs have always been these kind of godlike creatures that you can't possibly get in touch with, that you have to yeah. talk to the assistant and the assistant's assistant to get through to you, but it's changing, right? Yeah, I think it is. The, I, I think there was, like, I mean, like there's pros and cons to everything, mm. right? Yeah. But in the older style system, um, there was, I think there was quite a paternal paternalistic kind of view mm-hmm. of the whole thing. You know, the doctor's there in their white coat and they know best and all this kind yeah. of thing, which, you know, and that that has definitely swung the other direction. Okay. Um, I think there's probably for, for a long time, as you say, the reputation of obstetricians, you know, coming and going from the golf course and stuff <laughs> like that has has. Like harness some sort of doubt in the community mm. about our obstetricians. Like, what are the motives? What are they? You know, do you just want to induce everyone or or do a yeah, and all this right. kind of stuff? That kind of stuff is out there. But I think what's probably changed things most is genuinely social media yeah. and and the ability to share your mm. experience with your obstetrician. So mm. if you go back forty years, your obstetrician tells you something, and that's what you know. You don't know any For different. Sure. You've got three friends that are having babies. You can talk to them. Mm. You don't have. 150,000 influencers telling you about their true. experiences and, and so knowing true. like, you know, right now you can Google any obstetrician, mm. you can jump on their social media, you can you can get so much data about people, yeah. about what they do, you know, and when someone says, what, your obstetrician gives you their phone number, what, mm. what do you mean? My obstetrician's giving me a phone number. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Suddenly, if soon as people can compare things yeah. and compare things well, then I think service comes up because people have to bring the service up mm-hmm. or you'll get left behind. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. I think the, the trend is to Towards people probably delivering less babies and providing more service, you know, longer appointments, right. uh, that kind of thing, yeah, right. and, and swinging things back in the favour of mums, which is yeah. is kind of what oh, at least yeah, and honestly, <laughs> and I think that's what I see in the at least the people coming out of our industry at the mm. moment are very very mum centred. That's that's what I see mm. from like from the doctor's point of view. And I can't really speak to the other doctors out no. there, but I, I see that, and I think that's a really good thing because. You know, I think we have this um, really amazing opportunity as obstetricians. We can provide a service that other people can't provide. Mm. And therefore, if we do it the right way, it's amazing. It, yeah. It's really so good. So what do you do when people come in with a laminated birth plan? Like <laughs> oh, it's completely, you know, yeah, like yeah. how do you have that conversation? Because I, I know it's it's also about positive mindset, right? Mm, so yeah. you can have that birth plan, but if you don't have the positive mindset, um it, it can change the whole way it goes no matter what. Like how, what's the conversation you have with those? Yeah. So at my very first appointment with any patient, I say, you know, what's your what's your philosophy? What, what do you want to achieve out of this, right? And yeah. I think that's a really interesting conversation to have with someone off the bat. And, you know, on the North Shore, I get a bunch of patients will sit down and say, hi, nice to meet you. What day is my cesarean section going to be? And that <laughs> yeah. happens, right? Some people will just come in for an elective Caesar. But I also have patients that come in and say, hey, I'm nervous about seeing an obstetrician because I really want to achieve this low intervention natural birth. And all my friends are saying, you know, don't see an obstetrician for that. That won't happen kind of thing. Yeah. So 
when you take the time to work out what it is that someone wants to achieve, then it helps the next conversation, which is approaching the birth plan. And I think sometimes you've got to tease out, um, especially with the social media, the influence that people have of all unmedicated, natural, that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, People can put a really positive spin on that stuff, like from, you know, in in the same way that Instagram shows you the highlights Mm. of anything, right? Mm. You don't always see the times where it doesn't quite go that way. So you could, you could be easily forgiven for thinking that that is the, the, like the only way to do it um, and that's that's very hard when a patient comes in with very fixed ideas yes. of of what they want to achieve so I try to sort of spend the time and I, I always say to mums I'm like we've got two I've got two patients here I've got you and your baby right I know, and I yeah. think a birth plan is is very mum focused so it's about the birth experience right yep. so the baby itself and certainly there are aspects in the birth plan that are for the baby yep. be it their um, vaccinations or you know skin to skin all that kind of stuff that certainly comes into it but mm-hmm. a lot of a birth plan comes down to mum's actual experience of labor itself which is very mum centered which is fantastic mm-hmm. like that's you know my number one patient is the mum yeah. but we always have to talk about well what are we going to do with baby if we're worried about baby or anything like that as, at yeah. the same time? And to, I think for someone, the more rigid a birth plan is, um, the two things with that. One is you probably you can set yourself up for disappointment or feelings of failure yeah. if you don't achieve it. Mm. And so I think we I'm lucky because I get nine months to you know, get to know a patient and really find out which bits mean the most to them and which yeah. bits can we definitely achieve, which bits can we try for, and also to manage expectations a little bit because as we know, even with a rigid birth plan of, you know, I'm going to achieve this, that and the other, sometimes yeah. babies don't play ball. They've got cord wrapped for three sure. times around their neck. They're in a posterior position. You've been labouring for 48 hours. It's a massive baby. Whatever it is that mm. sometimes there's a reason we can't achieve it and therefore what is second best or third yeah, best option if we're not going to achieve that. That's right, right as exactly. Long as, we, as long as we have safe mum, safe baby, That's that it. has to be what's yeah, paramount. Yeah. Yep. So I always, so when I see a long birth plan like that, I sort of study like Ooh. at the top, <laughs> at the top what I really want to, sort of focus on is safe mum, safe baby. That's yeah. that's exactly mm. it. And then from that, okay, what's what can we achieve on this on this plan yeah. to, to get you to have the experience you really want I to know have? We're... By the same token, I am on the spectrum of, of obstetricians, I think. There's mm. people who are very baby centered. And yeah. if you like that, you're probably doing 95% cesarean sections. Yeah. You know, everyone gets a baby at, at yeah. 39 weeks and they come out well and that's it, right? They forget, come out beautiful forget, like cherubs. Forget mum's birth experience, <laughs> yeah. right? Then yeah. you've got people down the fu- the other end of the spectrum yeah. that will aim to achieve that vaginal birth yeah. no matter why. Yeah. But Every now and then if you do that, one of those babies is going to come out in a condition you wish you'd delivered the baby 10 yeah. minutes earlier or an hour earlier or yeah, a day right. earlier, you know. And so I'm certainly down the, the end of the low intervention obstetrics. Mm-hmm. That's what I, I, that's my passion. That's what I like. Mm-hmm. I'm a strong believer in, you know, natural vaginal birth. Yeah. Um, with the caveat to say that if things aren't going right, yeah. that you know, pushing it past that point yeah. is, you know, you've got a baby for the rest of its yeah. life, you know, and and that 10 minutes of oxygen to the brain at the end can be the difference between, the, you know, a big oh, thing for that child down the track. Isn't and, it? and so that's the kind of stuff you want to get across to people. Yeah. And I think as an obstetrician, the way I see it is if people know that my aim for my patients is to aim for that low intervention natural birth, mm. But also a safe birth. If they trust you mm. and you don't end up with the natural birth, if you end up with an instrumental delivery or an emergency Caesar, then they don't look back and go, I picked the wrong person. No. Or if I'd gone with someone else, I would have achieved something else. Where they think, goodness me, I'm glad that we made that decision when yeah. we did because this is the outcome that we got. I can and say I after 10 minutes of talking important. to you, I fundamentally trust you. I'll do whatever you do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. <laughs> But I'm also closing my legs really tight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I've had enough babies. <laughs> Not that I think I'm going down that road again, but if sure. I did. I, mean, I did do a little bit of research, just ask my friends, and mm. there's a bit of a stigma around induction, mm. you know, from the previous, like mm. when my mum had a baby, I know that she had an awful experience because I think her obstetrician needed to go to the opera that night and, <laughs> you know, whatever happened, it was on, you know, steric, like went crazy and um, it was not a great experience. What are the choices around induction 
Mm. And I guess what 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 do you offer um, in advice in whether they decide to go the induction yeah, route what, or not? What warrants like, an induction? What, when yeah. does that come into play? Look, induction is a hot topic. It's yeah. a, it's such a fascinating word in the community because <laughs> everybody views it in this different way, yeah. right? So yeah. I think the first thing to realise about induction is that sometimes we need to induce somebody. Mm, yeah. So induction is taking someone who's not in labour and starting the labour process before their body was really ready, essentially. Yeah, because okay. they've chosen to go vaginally. That's, That's right, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the other option would be to do an elective caesarean section. So if they want to have a vaginal birth but there's, you know, but the other option is to take someone who's not quite started labouring on their own and start that process. Now, that probably started, the first inductions would have been very much for the fact that there was some medical reason why it was safer to have the baby today than to wait until tomorrow when yeah. you might go into labour, okay? So sometimes there is a genuine medical reason for induction. I don't think anyone really worries about those inductions, okay? If your baby is really small or it's really compromised, the placenta's not working, mm. if you've got gestational diabetes on hundreds of units of insulin, you're really sick, all those kind of reasons or blood pressures through the roof, it would be genuinely unsafe to go another 24 hours. Yep. You know, you mum could crash or yep. baby could crash, you know? Yep. So those inductions, I don't think anyone really worries about those. I think the the word induction, though, has has sort of also encompassed this concept of a social induction now or inductions for, well, want of a better word, cushy reasons, okay? <laughs> so so um, a few years ago there was a study that came out that looked at – it was a really interesting study and it's divisive in the, in the sort of, you know, obstetric midwifery community. But they basically took thousands of women and they were low-risk women, so they, they would just normally just go on and labour naturally. And they said, what would happen if we randomly pick people out of this group and we induced them at 39 weeks mm -hmm. or we just let them labour, okay? And we'll just compare the two groups and see what happens, right? It's a pretty good study. It kind of yeah. answers the question a little bit of, you know, is an induction a good thing or not? It was a well-designed study. Um, there are certainly people out there that have issues with it. There's issues with any kind of study, I guess, mm. is always going to be flawed. Was that the ARRIVE, the Arrive study? Trial, that's I've right. done my yeah, research. There you go. Yeah, well done. Well and, and, so, and what it showed, which I think surprised everybody, the obstetricians, the yeah. patients, everybody, was that it seems to be the safest time to have a baby is 39 weeks. Really? That's Not it. 40? 39 weeks. So wow. I think there's definitely a feeling in the community that natural, normal, no intervention, that is, is always better. And what this study showed is, in fact, from a medical point of view, mm. so in terms of your outcomes for mums and babies, mm. taking, a, taking experience out of, the, out of the mix, which is yeah. a big thing, right? But if you take that out of the mix... Babies did better if you if mums were induced at 39 weeks. Less babies ended up in the nursery. So that's what were the, right? I was going to say. What were the results? Like what yeah, made so them they, better? They, they looked at mums and babies yeah. basically. So mums had less vaginal tearing. The cesarean section rate was actually lower if you were okay. induced. A lot of people think that induction means a higher caesar rate. Yeah. Um, so mums did really well in the study, and then babies did really well. So less babies ended up sick and in the nursery mm. if you did that. So if you did that early induction. Now, of course, the big elephant in the room there is you're not just going to take every woman on the planet and say, hey, we're going to induce you at 39 weeks because mm. then no one's going into labour naturally anymore yeah. and you've lost that. And it's not like the big thing about the ARRIVE trials, it's not like it's so much safer to have your baby at 39 weeks yeah. than to wait to 40 or 41. Right. So the way I read that data is to say, look, if you're a low-risk person, if you want to have an induction for some reason at 39 weeks to be the safest time or whatever it is, then there's no reason not to do that. Yep. But if you want to wait it out, the risk doesn't go up dramatically. Yeah. It certainly does, say, 10 days after your due date. That's when you see it. But for the next couple of weeks, any time is a good time to have a okay. baby, right? So therefore it comes down to, you know, what? why do you want to have an induction and, 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 and what is the reasoning for that? So and I have patients that say that, that come to me saying, look, we're going to go low intervention, we're just going to go all natural, mm -hmm. and then first baby and they get to 38 weeks, it's a 40-degree day, and they <laughs> ring me and say, get this thing out yeah. of me right <laughs> now, right? Like, and, you know, yeah. and, and so I say, look, we, you know, we can help you with that. But at the end of the day, everything's a conversation right yeah. Yeah. there's going to be pros and cons of any approach mm. so i think an induction the key thing and i talk about induction a lot but the key yeah. thing about an induction if people want to know about it is that it just has to be done right and i think the problem is it's often not done right yeah. and that's what gives it a bad name and when i say doing it right i mean making sure someone is essentially close to going into labour on their own before you start. Mm -hmm. So we have a way of telling when we mm. like examine the cervix how close you are to going into labour. And all these studies that compared induction versus no induction and things were all based off people who were 
close to going into labour. And mm-hmm. sure, if I take someone off the street who's not even getting – labour's not even on the horizon mm-hmm. and I induce them, they're definitely going to have a caesarean section, no question. Because yeah, right. they're going to have to labour for to 24 hours before the cervix even starts to yes. change, at which time baby gets stressed and end up having an emergency seizure. Mm-hmm. So a poorly done induction gets gets the appropriate – you know, result, result yeah. that, that people expect in the community. Yeah. A so well does it have done to have induction. a cervix that's opening thinning? or thinning? Yeah, or? so we use a thing called a bishop score. Um, basically, yeah. it's all the markers of how close you are to labour. So is your cervix opening? Is it thinning out? Is it softening up? So does it feel firm like the tip of your nose or yeah. soft like your cheek? <laughs> I why yeah, yeah. So, so, so that's, that's a firm score. cervix. See, I've yeah. never heard of that. Yeah, and and so literally we, we would literally score your cervix to say how close you are to labour. And all of those studies, you needed to score a seven, which means you're you're well and truly on the way. Okay. If I start someone's induction from a score who's got a score of three, yeah. their chance of seizure and all those interventions yeah. and epidurals, all that stuff is much, much higher. Yes. And we okay. know that. And I think that's the conversation that people are probably starting to have with with obstetricians, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a change. It comes back to that education thing before. I don't think people knew what bishop scores and no, things are. People didn't talk that. about that stuff, right? So it's the kind of stuff that I talk about my patients and say, hey, if we're going to do an induction so that I can hand on heart, say I think this is the thing that's in your best interest, mm-hmm. let's make sure your cervix is ready. Yeah. And if we give you the medication the night before and I come and examine you in the morning and you're not ready, mm-hmm. let's try again. Let's not just do the Hail Mary, break the waters and, and see how we go because yeah. that's where you end up in, in all those interventions mm-hmm. that you don't want. Um, you touched on tearing, which is probably something you could oh, yeah. talk about. But is there anything in the induction process that helps with that, or or just in any kind of in, in labour? Yeah, yeah. I, I had a I was a three B tearing. Right. Okay. So. so I think the I think the evidence for tearing. Yeah. Okay. Um, certainly at the extremes of things, you're going to mm. have higher risk. So if your baby's very very big, for example, mm. compared to a smaller baby, mm. you have a higher higher chance of tearing. And that's not to say that a small baby can't cause tears, mm. or a big baby definitely will cause tears. Mm. It's just a spectrum. Okay. Sure. Um, but I think most of the evidence around vaginal tearing in labour comes from or, or the things that we can do to prevent or reduce tearing comes down to the experience of the person doing the delivery. That's yes. a really big one. So a lot of the studies say having an experienced, what we call a kusha, it's the person who catches your baby, oh. be it a midwife oh. or a, uh, a, a, a kusha. Yep. I love that. A kusha. Yeah. A kusha. kusha. Yeah. Is it a kusha or? One a, word. One word, a yeah. kusha. Yeah, there you go. It's oh the person, who, that's the person who catches the baby. That's so great. Yeah, and then having that person being an experienced person. Yeah. So and, and you go through, it's funny because there's certainly trends in these things. When I was training at Westmead Hospital mm. early on, um, the trend had moved with the midwives had moved to hands off and let's just let, nature do its thing no don't mm. touch the baby at all right and we i think we saw a spike in tears and things after yeah. that whereby i mean mum's pushing 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 everything's hurting and then you know you don't have that sort of tactile stimulation at that point to know when to push, stop and yeah. all that and and certainly some people have amazing intuition there's no question mm. that people some people can just you know push and stop and push and stop. Mm. It's, it's incredible but some people don't have that i had an epidural and so i didn't know and that's it and that yeah. can make it a lot more tricky so the kinds of things we know can help mm. um we use well i personally use warm compresses so we use warm like wet warm towels on the perineum yep. which stimulates that blood flow and means the tissue has it's supple Softer. Okay, it stretches a little bit more. Yeah. Um, some, I, I often send my patients to a, a pelvic floor physiotherapist Great. a couple of times during pregnancy, like mm. early on at, say, 20 weeks, which can help with sort of pelvic floor relaxation. So you think that's a good thing to do during the pregnancy? Yeah, look, it's one of those things like – Pregnancy's not cheap. No, even if you go through the yeah. public system, you're gonna have there's gonna be there's gonna be costs associated with. It. I mean, having a baby's not cheap either, yeah, right? God. When does so it get certainly cheaper? Certainly, there are. Yeah, that's <laughs> right, exactly. Five and three. When they move out, when they move out of home, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so there's certainly like there are luxury services that if I if we had the unlimited budget, I would send everybody to a pelvic floor for Yeah, right. See, I just thought that if you went through to – I thought the goal – correct me because mm. I'm going to be wrong. <laughs> but I thought the goal was to soften it so it's like an easy – so going to a pelvic floor person through, mm. um, whilst you're pregnant, would that harden it up to keep it all tighter? Yeah. Or it, what's the – It's a really good question. So it's funny because like 50% of my patients go and see a pelvic floor physio and they get told how to tighten their pelvic mm. floor to hold it all together, okay, yeah. to reduce prolapse and continence. That's what that's what we're going through right now (laughs) but then the other 50 percent of people have a really tight pelvic floor Mm. and they get taught how to 
essentially oh, loosen the, the pelvic opposite. floor because a very tight pelvic floor can prevent the baby sure. coming through. So that's what a pelvic floor physiotherapist is trained to do. And I'm okay. not, I'm very much a stay in your lane guy. Like that's how I approach <laughs> yeah. like what I do. Like, yeah. like I'm, I'm good at what I do, yeah. but I don't yeah, yeah. try and do the things no. that I don't do. Yeah. Right. And you might as well go and see a pelvic floor physio. That's why, that's why I like doulas and midwives and all these things because everyone brings something yeah, to the table. Yeah. Right. And, and I'm not that good at maternal positioning in labor. Yeah. Like I'm not there. Yeah. you know, swinging and bouncing and doing all those things, which I think are fabulous, right? But I'm not trained in that. So no. you might as well have the person who's trained in that to help For you with sure. that stuff. Sure. I'm there to help you get the baby out if you're having trouble getting mm. the baby out and, yeah. you know, educating you along the way. Um, but the pelvic floor physios will, you know, help you and say, hey, actually your pelvic floor is really tight or you're bearing down, like they'll get you to physically, you know, bear down and teach you how to push early on so that when it comes to the big that day, you've got this Great. education. Yeah, I had so no idea. It's, it's it, right? So And, and I think... Like I guess that's one of the one of the benefits of say the, the private system is that as you come through a structured system like that, you know, we have at certain appointments we talk about certain things. You know, we'll talk about your pelvic floor, we'll talk about all these things. Sometimes some of that can get lost if you're in a mode of care where you know, you're seeing various people and it's just kind of what's happening at this appointment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but definitely some of those extra services are fantastic. Same thing with psychology, lactation consultancy, mm, um, you know, all, all those sleep. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So... Well, yeah. Is there any free things that you recommend to people that want to bring on labour? Because I know that's a hot topic. They're like, what can I do to bring on labour? Yeah. Do I have to have you, do bounce on a ball works? or eat spicy yeah. food? Yeah, or yeah, yeah. There's, a, yeah. there's there's so many of those things out there that, that like people talk yeah. about. So, again, going back to the study thing, yes. that they, they haven't been able to prove in a randomised study where you just like literally randomly people or they don't know what intervention they're getting, that any of those things work, okay? But that's not to say that I don't suggest all of them because I them, generally yes. do. Yeah. So when someone comes to me at 39 weeks and it's 40 degrees outside and they're like, get this thing out of me, I say, well, why don't you go Dude. for a walk, have sex, yeah, yeah. eat an eggplant, you know, <laughs> have curry, whatever bark, it is. Bark yeah. Yeah. yeah, the, the eggplant babies in the, in the States. Never heard of that. Uh, it was a restaurant. I love it. Is that why eggplant's a, a funny emoji? Or no? <laughs> <laughs> that was also on his list of suggestions. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, so, so that's really embarrassing. Can we just like edit that? Absolutely not. That's prostaglandins. So semen has prostaglandins yeah. in it. That's the same stuff that we use mm. to get the cervix to change. When you come in the night before your induction, you get given prostaglandins. It's basically, what they put no semen in yeah. your day. Look, she's well, okay. She can't right. take it. She's like a little girl. Anyhow, okay. Let's just go back. We're talking about interventions. Epidurals. Mm. Yes, Hot walking topic. backwards. Yeah, yeah. I um, I walked in backwards for my first yes. because my mum had an epidural. That was walking what I. <laughs> that's what they told me to do. So just walking backwards. I'm like, what are you talking so about? Ready. Oh, it's an epidural. Just yeah. like I remember, in. I said to my husband, "You've got one job throughout this whole situation. Your one job is to make sure when they say the epidural, the anaesthetist is coming, that he's actually coming. Because sometimes I know they say that just to like hold you off because they think you can have it. You like your job is to make sure he's coming. Anyway, he walked in the room. It was like. God walking in. It was like I've never been so happy to see Because it could take two hours or so sometimes. 100%. Because especially I'm in the, the public system. Hello. Like he's got to go around and do the like. Yeah, and it takes and a while. another person. So he came pretty quick. Um, but I loved the epidural. But then I, what for me, and this is not the case for everyone, I'll say that, what turned, what was a perfect textbook pregnancy, textbook labour went south very quickly for mm-hmm. me um, in terms of uh, blood pressure was lost for Eva and I went septic and I couldn't feel when I was pushing. Mm. And so then oh, we were Lord. forceps. She was in the NICU for a week. Wow. Um, and I threw a B tear. Yeah. So that was the result of that. And I know that's not the case all the time. Epidurals can be I had a great good one. in the right yeah. scenario. Just curious for your take and how often you yeah. recommend that for people. Yeah. So it's like, again, it's funny because I just, I genuinely think everyone has some sort of thing they want to get out of the pregnancy mm. and and you know some people want to be comfortable and have a baby mm. <laughs> some people want to experience the essentially the pain of childbirth <laughs> to prove yeah. to Who themselves that they yeah. can that women have been doing this for hundreds <laughs> yeah. of years and, and yeah. so and there's no right in that no, there's like right. the, no neither one of those people is more right than the other person yes. the person who's right is doing the thing that works for them yeah. and mm. i've had countless women who 
want to go all natural and have mm. the very first contraction and say, bugger this, get me, get me the epidural. <laughs> Literally, like, and they're, but they're, they're so set. They're going to go, no, there's no way. I've got the tensor strength, got all this stuff. Mm. And they actually have the first contraction. They're like, no way, Ooh, get me the epidural. You. And I also have patients that who want to have an epidural. So my wife is a perfect example. Mm. She, we had, I mean, she's a doctor as well. Mm. And we had a lengthy chat about what, which way she should have a baby because, mm. like, you know, there's a study in England that they asked all the obstetricians how would you have your baby and I think 80% of people said elective cesarean section, right? That's like why I had the number two. Yeah, well, that's it, right? Love so, it. But we, we talked a lot about it and we and I because I really am a strong believer in natural birth, I said, look, I, I personally think that trying for a natural birth is a good plan, I mm. think, you know, and most of the time it goes really well. Mm. And as long as you've got someone experienced there to tell you when deviating from it going well mm. and that you see those warning signs and act appropriately, then you'll be fine. You'll yep. be fine, baby, be fine. Yep. You may not end up with the natural birth, yeah. but you'll end up with a happy, healthy baby. Right. And that's what we did. So she did all that. She had the TENS machine and she was quite open to having an epidural when she came in. If she was like, I'll try labour, if I don't mm. like it, I'll have an epidural. Yeah. Very open-minded, fantastic. Yeah. Right? And she actually literally around the corner here, we were walking around the streets around here and she was breathing on fences and all this. Yeah. She turned up at the hospital eight centimetres dilated. Shivers. Um, and then was just happy with her TENS machine, walking around, didn't end up getting the epidural. And she was thrilled. She had a beautiful natural birth, yeah. no issues whatsoever and so didn't great. have it, but was also completely okay with the fact that if yeah. she decided that she didn't like it anymore, yes. could also yeah. get an epidural put in. So I think the answer is whatever works yeah. for you and understanding what it means if you get one. So mm. some people don't under, don't understand that. It can slow things down. It can increase the instrumental rate. It yeah. can, you know, change the trajectory. It might then mm. mean you need syntocin on to get the contractions Correct. to keep going. Yeah. So I think, again, comes back to that education thing mm. and talking about that not on the day, not waiting for mm. the, you know, the 45th contraction that's that's there and saying now on the epidural, okay, let's talk about this for the first time now. That's what happened with me. Labor. I'm like, you've got the needle poised in my back. and like, I need to tell yeah. you about the potential <laughs> side effects. I was like, I don't that's know. Right. And exactly. Put that needle in. 100%. But also that it can yeah. be sometimes too late and you need to well, make the decision early. I've heard what, that what, it can point? never actually be too late. I've heard that something yeah, they I get asked this say. all the time by <laughs> my patients. What's the latest? I can so, um, yeah. Technically, it's never too late yes. unless the baby's Ooh, head, unless the baby's head is literally right okay. and coming out. So right? unless so it's you need, you need to be able to get into a position to have late. one put in. There are okay. going to be some so, angry women listening. But, <laughs> That have been told the opposite. But, well, I mean, obviously, if the baby's coming out, yeah. you're not going to stop sure. the epidural. But yeah, failing sure. that, I mean, I've put epidurals in for people who've been pushing for two hours. I've been fully died and pushing for two hours. And then we get an epidural mm. because we know that despite mum's absolute best efforts for two full hours of this really effective yeah. pushing, baby's head is not coming Sometimes out. Sometimes it just okay? doesn't happen. And then we're going to need to help out with a little for vacuum sure. or a or whatever it is. Yes. I'm always trying to avoid these things, but sometimes it's unavoidable. And therefore, an epidural, we can literally do that after two hours of pushing if you need yeah. it. Um, and I guess in the public system, <laughs> in the public system it can be challenging sometimes because the registrar, the, the doctor that's doing them might also be covering a few other areas so there might be a little delay. Yeah. I'm very fortunate here at North Shore Private, mm. the MARTA, you know, Northern Beaches where you can throw a rock and hit 55 anaesthetists. Oh you know, like to change so, my you know, mind about so, where to go if I... <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's right. So therefore you know that, you know, if, if the person who's on call yeah. can't yeah. do it, the person who's on call from them can't do it, then you just turn the, around and there's four the more. There's someone around that will come and do it. So yeah. Can I ask a quick one mm. about so in your experience you decided you thought that the vaginal you'd prefer that with your wife to have a vaginal experience. <laughs> She's making a V shape and pushing <laughs> down constantly. The actions are really good. Say yeah. vagina. Yeah. I always <laughs> like to ask the expert, like, what would you do? So yeah. that was your decision. What what benefits are there of vaginal versus C-section? Yeah, is it because of... I would say C-section so is a better I should point benefit. out that what I really said to my wife was whatever yeah. you yeah. wanted to. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, of <laughs> so course, would, but you were uh, like, would, oh, yeah, I was I would happy shut vaginal. I think that I would tell her yeah. what I think she should do. So just... Okay. So, yeah, look, there's... And I get asked this a lot, and it's a really classic question for mums who are who will come in and say, I just want the safest thing for my baby. And I really like that as an approach, mm -hmm. right? Because approach. if you're coming in saying like this is about the baby and I'd love to have a really nice experience out of it but I really want to make sure it's safe for baby, then there are certainly, um, you know, pros and cons to every different um, thing that can happen, okay? And anything can happen at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, so if you look at a cesarean section, probably the biggest downside of a cesarean section is the recovery time. So it's a big operation. It hurts. It hurts for days, um, you know, and the recovery time. It's sort of six I found weeks. Mine fabulous. Yeah, I didn't and look, find that at all. Absolutely. Honestly. Yeah, well, and that's fair. And it, and it blows my mind actually that mums 
get up the day after. If you have a, if you have a laparotomy, which is a big, yeah. a big cut in your tummy, mm. for any other operation in the hospital, you spend two weeks in the hospital, for they sure. don't feed you for a week. They get you up the you next day. Get, in, in, the, in the hospital, suddenly you're expected to you know, breastfeed a newborn, carry your toddler yeah. around, get up and have a shower, all this kind of stuff. It's you amazing. Know why? That's because women are warriors. <laughs> yes, well, there you go. <laughs> well, and <laughs> their hormones about. are going nuts. Yeah, yeah but he there. was like, up you get. And I was like, sorry, I've been cut it, in half. It, like a magician's yeah, yeah. trick. I've been cut in half. You want me to get up and go to the toilet? Bring me a bed. No, no, no. He's like, up you get. I'm like, Jesus. Nathan gets more care when he's got the bloody flu. Yeah. No, but so so typically, good. if you compare that, though, to someone who comes in, has a baby and, and walks out yes. kind of thing, mm-hmm. then the recovery is probably more challenging after a cesarean. Now, that's not to say that some people who have a vaginal birth don't have a more... 3B10. And that's exactly Much what I was going to get to. Yeah. Absolutely. So a, a controlled cut on the tummy that we sew, sew back up, we take that stitch out five days later, mm-hmm. you pull it out and it's healed. That's it. Five days after. It's unbelievable. I would 1,000% do a C-section. Right, compared to, say, if you have an extensive vaginal tear, you know, all that kind of stuff. So there is certainly um, – the other thing too, caesareans, you can't have heaps of caesareans, okay? Mm. There's no actual hard and fast rule about how many you have, but the risks do go up for every caesarean that you yep. have because each time you go into the tummy, there's more scar tissue, yes. more risk of damaging your bowel, bladder. And even though these risks are rare, if it happens to you, then you hold up for quite a while yeah. trying to look after a baby while you're, uh, you know, while you got some sort of injury. So that's that's the big sort of downside, I guess, to the cesarean thing. So I guess the, the pro, the, the major pro yes. for vaginal is number one, experience and feeling like you've done what women do. That, that's one thing I hear really commonly. I want to do what, what women yeah. do. Okay. Um, the other thing is, is their quick recovery time. They're the two big ones. Oh. The downsides of vaginal birth are not just immediate week after, but what's going to happen in five years, 10 years or 20 years. Okay. And those things are generally, and they're the people, things people often don't talk about because they're not on the radar. Mm. Prolapse and incontinence are the two big things. Okay. And these are the things that people who talk about um, like, for example, when you get all caught up on, you know, you're going to push this baby out no matter what and use your intuition, do all those things, mm. but you've got a 4.6 kilo baby on board and you labour for three days and the baby does come out, like the damage that can have done to you, not necessarily, but the damage it can have done to your mm. pelvic floor means that in five years' time you'll be back with, you know, severe prolapse, you yeah. know, bulge into the vagina, let alone out of the vagina, or incontinence, leaking urine, leaking feces, those yeah, kinds of things. It my is possible, right? Not and the, the really interesting thing, though, is that the studies show that by the time you're about 60, it doesn't matter how you had your babies. Mm. If you had seizures or vaginal births, the rates of prolapse and incontinence are actually very similar. Wow. So having a baby relaxes I everything and all that. I love that you just said that. that. Okay. <laughs> well, I thought that I'd ruin myself okay. by having but vaginals. Your so cesarean section is protective of your pelvic floor in that sort of first five to ten to fifteen years after having your babies, which is a time where a lot of people are still out doing their yoga and going mm. out and having sex and doing all the things that oh, well, I guess young people do. Often, but yeah. <laughs> sure, um, but they're the kinds of things that we take into account, and I think they're the things that are balanced conversation yeah. about mode of delivery. So when someone comes to me and says, "This is what I want to do." A balanced conversation about that involves, yes, here are all those pros, but here are the things you may not have considered about it, Mm, you know, that you can try really hard for this natural birth, but sometimes if baby gets really, really stuck, I have to put a pair of forceps on. I can't go back and do a Caesar. Baby's not coming out on its own. It's got a low heart rate. Mm. There's no other way to get that baby out. I don't like to do it, but I have to do it sometimes. And that can cause damage to your pelvic floor and therefore, and, you know, third degree tears, uh, episiotomies, all these things Mm. can, are part of it. So if you go into it with just one person's opinion about how childbirth should be, Mm. it can be very disappointing or, or, um, you know, confusing after the fact. The reason I chose vaginal was I was told that something as the head goes down the birthing canal, um, the bones, I don't know, do something and it's really good for them. See, yeah, oh, is yeah. this it drains no, it's like, out of the lungs? Is that right? Definitely. So the yeah. so babies born vaginally release a lot of cortisol, which is the stress hormone. Okay, so okay. it's the same hormone that anyone makes when they're stressed. So mm. babies release that. That has all these physiological benefits for baby inside. So it matures their lungs as they're coming through. It releases a hormone that helps make their lungs expand better when they okay. come out and stuff like that. So sometimes if you have an elective seizure, the baby comes out and because they haven't had that stress hormone, they get a bit of fluid on the lungs, can take a little bit longer for them to make that transition. So The cry if, is delayed. Yeah, maybe. sometimes that's right. Yeah. So sometimes if we um, deliver a baby early, say mm. 32 weeks, we actually give 
mum steroids. We give her a shot of, of oh, corticosteroids okay. to go through a baby because baby hasn't had that stress hormone mm. yet to help mature their lungs so that when they are born they can breathe. Wow. So there's definitely benefits for baby being mm. sort of pushed and squeezed through that birth canal, no question. The head does mould. They're like tectonic plates, the little bones on the babies. Yeah. And so when we – that's the kind of thing that we do as trained you know, midwives or doctors. When we do an examination – we can tell whether those plates, whether the baby, how much that baby is moulding as it's coming through. Yeah. So I want to know, is this baby going to fit? That's really my job. Is this baby going to fit? <laughs> like at the end and of what the day, if the baby's right? not going to fit? That's, at this point when you're checking that's its conversation intervention, time. That's like, or... you know, that's my experience is this baby's done the maximum it can do to come through. Yeah. So And so th- those plates can be like apart like this. They can be butting up against each other like that or mm. they can be overlapping yeah. like that. Once they're overlapping, that's it. there's no more, the baby can't no give. get any better. No. That's right. So yeah. if we're at that stage of the baby's head, still really high in my experience i'm thinking okay we're we're getting to a point now where we're more likely to have a forceps or a vacuum and and, you know all that kind of stuff and they're the conversations you want to be having with someone at that point so that when you do end up down the track having something that you've deviated from the plan Mm. is that the outcome we want is it better to have a vacuum or the forceps uh different so forceps are probably worse for mum um, in that yes, they correct. they increase that. as you put a pair of forceps around a baby's head, it increases the diameter of the baby's head. So sure. it's a physically bigger thing to come out. Um, so, so a vacuum sits on the outside, so it doesn't actually change the size no. of the baby's head. Okay. But because it's pulling a little mushroom on the top of baby's head, and they can cause a little bit of rarely, mm. but can cause a little bit of bleeding under the baby's skin. So yeah. they just go on obs after a vacuum. But again, like. You know, we sort of talk a bit about intervention. I think intervention is a funny word in the community. People mm. talk about, oh, you're going to have intervention. But intervention is not a bad thing. Unnecessary intervention yes, is correct. a bad thing. Intervention is sometimes necessary. Yeah. You need a seizure, then it has to happen. It's more dangerous not What to. we're trying to avoid, at least what I'm trying to yeah. avoid in my practice, is unnecessary intervention. I think that's what Great. people get scared about when they go to an obstetrician. Am I going to get the golf course, you know, unnecessary induction, whatever? Or, or is it, is it whose who's motivation is it to do what we do? And yeah. as long as, to my mind, as long as my motivation is doing something that I think is in your best interest, mm-hmm. then that's where we're heading with that. Okay. We talked about you can't have a lot of cesareans, but what about there's a lot of talk about VBACs, mm-hmm. so vaginal births after yeah. cesareans. I know um, I get I, I see a lot of questions about that, whether mm. it's possible. I guess mm-hmm. it's to do with perhaps the time frame of the pregnancy that comes next. Yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts on Yeah, I get asked a lot about VBACs and I do yeah. support VBACs yeah. in general. Um, I, I counsel people in two ways about a VBAC. First of all, it's the safety, okay? Mm. So how what's the risk to you and your baby of trying for it, yeah. okay? And we go through the, the, the what the numbers are, you know, this is your chance of something bad happening. And the big risk for a VBAC is that when you start having these big contractions, you've got a scar on your uterus, mm. something's got to open. Either the cervix has got to open to let the baby out or if the scar is weak, it opens instead. And that's not what you want. That's a disaster. Okay, so that's the big risk of a VBAC yep. and why some people don't offer them and some people do them in a modified kind of way in terms of how they approach them. And the more them. time, the better I Yeah, so that, that's between. right. And so, so the things are like, you know, if it's, we want an 18-month interval yep. closed in two layers, all sorts of things. That's, that mm. all comes down to the safety of it. But that's not the only thing to take into account with a VBAC. It's also, is it going to work? Yeah. So people say, because you can be completely safe, but mm. you've only got a 5% chance of it actually working, in which mm. case, you know, you're sort of crazy to try. A 95% mm. chance of an emergency Caesar. Or vice versa, you could have a 95% chance of it working, and but it'd be very unsafe. How do you know so, what the percentage is? Is that something that you get told if I was to come and see you? Yeah, and, you and that, that's our job. That, okay. That's literally my job. If you come to me saying you want a VBAC, we sit down for an hour and I say, I literally run you through all the numbers. Yeah. I say, for you, it's this safe yeah. and there's this much chance of it going to work. Yeah. And then what do you want to do? And yeah. some people say, I'll take a 10% chance of it working. I told a patient just recently, I said, I... I think you only have a 10% chance of this one. I think you're going to end up with a 90% chance you'll end up with an emergency seizure based off what happened and in the first the one. Took the odds and had a VBAC, okay? But I've also told people I've got a 90% chance of and it working and they're in the 10%. It's, it's, it's statistics, so right? And that's it. So it really comes down to your motivations. And her motivation to me was I just want to experience labour. I'm willing to try for a bit. And mm-hmm. it just happened that she did that very well. So, okay. you know, that's, yeah, uh, yeah so. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Hugh Porter, we for coming We could literally and talk to you. For, but I know, like, that... Oh, how much would that cost in your time? Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're, such a a you're such um, a highly wanted man. Um, but thank you so much. That was such an incredible, enlightening chat, wasn't it? Yes, and it's going to be a great help to everyone. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's just started their thank pregnancy so journey. So Where can we you find you? If yeah. we uh, just more. Google, Instagram, whatever. Yeah, yep. you can find me. Just What's Dr. Hugh Porter, Sydney, Sydney Babies. Yeah, yeah, you'll find me. We've got a pretty good presence online. No worries, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks a lot. Thank you.
Okay, so I'm officially going down the OB route if I ever have a third child. <laughs> we just got a real insight into oh the gosh. private system. So it's And he works in the public hospital Absolutely. too. Absolutely. You're right. You're right. So he kind of and he is a huge advocate for the public health system too. I mean, as am I. So it's But it so is lucky. good to know what an obstetrician does for and sure. how how he he or she plays their part in the whole Absolutely. process. Absolutely. And yeah, again, it depends amazing. on what you as a pregnant woman value most. Oh, you. Right? Yeah. That's what it comes down to. So, and we are very privileged to have that yep. choice in this country. And knowledge is power. That's right. I'm learning that. Speaking of knowledge is power, we've got a couple of hacks for your oh, ears. Oh, yes, we do. As always. Uh, now, let's board the train. Ready? It's been a while. Oh, it's wow. We're boarding the train. Yeah. I've got your ticket. First okay. class, baby. Where are we going Back to Tay Tay? Or okay. what's going oh, on? God. No. Yeah, let's go to Tay Tay. I mean, yeah. have you got a spare couple of cheeky <laughs> thousand? Yeah, I don't even know if that would help you. Um, I'll start if you like. Mm-hmm. I saw internet uproar recently. Right. When I went to the good guys, purchased Happy Pain Customer, the Bissell Spot clean. I did not know this. How do you thing. spell that? What is that? Bissell. B I S E L. Right. Spot clean. One word. It. Like I said that I bought it. I'm like, this is like adulting when you're excited about a purchase like this. And everyone was like, can I borrow it? Can I borrow it? You're one of them. Can I borrow it? 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 I was like, why does everyone love this thing? Like I like I need something to clean the couch, but is it's got a cult following? Well, is it? Well, I did our couch. We've got a beige couch, first and foremost. So stupid, but it was the only one available at Harvey Norman when we needed to move into our home. And it was absolutely a mistake with two children. I'm aware of that now. It's too late to change it. And I can't even wash the covers. So I was like, I I was just putting throws on this yeah. thing when people came over because it was disgusting. Yeah. Anyway, Vegemite Classic and all, all that other shit. And you just fill this thing up with the solution and the water and you spray the area and then you just put mm. the nozzle over the area and it goes... <laughs> And sucks up what you've just sprayed, and all this brown water goes into Ugh. the right hand side of the. But it's so sad. It's like squeezing oh, yeah, a pimple. It's pimple so satisfying. satisfying. I've just lent it to my do friend's mum. Do you have mom. to do the whole couch, or is or it you just, can just the do spot? one area like, if you will want? It make well, it's called spot cleaning. Well, once so. you start, though, do, can you stop? The like, problem is, you know, you can it's do like one a spot tennis court. But you're not going to want to. You're going to want to do the whole goddamn thing because <laughs> it's so satisfying. I've now done the dining chairs. Yeah, right. Next up is the rug. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll definitely highly recommend it to you. so it works. Loved it. It was only like two hundred and fifty. So bucks maybe you could like split it with friends. Well, for sure. Okay. I'm thinking about hiring it out. It's like a business idea. Everybody wants to borrow it. I might charge you. <laughs> well, you said to me that you would lend it to me. I did and say I'll I'll lend it to you. That. Okay, fine. So I'm you not paying for you nothing. Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> okay, anyway, highly recommend. What about you? What I you am all into white noise at the moment. <gasps> so mm. I was watching, you know, got stuck in the Instagram hole mm. and I saw someone, I think Ricky Lee was oh. even saying like, guys, it makes sense. As a baby, they all put the white noise mm. machine on to make the baby sleep. Why are we why do we stop doing it as adults? Yeah. So I bought one of those sunrise clocks, you know, oh. the ones that they have a half an hour turn on and so they, it looks like a sunrise. Anyway, part of it is white noise. Yeah. And I started using that and I, even Ed loves it. He's really? like, you're going to put the white, um, the noise thing on? Like it sometimes sounds like you're in the middle of a thunderstorm, like a rain or whatever. Okay. But What about you amazing. laughed your ass off at me when we were right? stuck in Dallas? Yes. One night we had it, we were thing, in the same hotel room and I said, do you mind if I just pop put on the rain, rain on. app? Because I can't sleep without it. You were like, oh, oh my God. Weirdo. Like, and you thought it was so weird. No, you it see. does take time to get used to it, yeah. but I, I, I think it's I think it's a good thing. So I'm going to keep going. I can't going sleep with without it. rain noise now. Even yeah. if the real rain is on outside, I still prefer my rain <laughs> Well, I found because I was using the Calm app I or one of those. App. No, but like it turns off at like 2 a.m. It doesn't, yeah. even though if I put it on the no, loop. You can change the setting. No, well, you're going to have to show I'll me show how you. to do that. But um, this other machine, really, really good. good. What's it called? Really good. You don't know. Just Google. Is that got on Amazon, the Sunrise Sunset sunrise. Clock? Maybe we'll find a link and pop it in the show yeah, The kids are obsessed. And you can use um, it on alarm. You can put um, different music on. You can have mm. a timer for sleep. Um, it's a white noise machine for adults. Yeah, it's Love pretty it. good. I'll put it in the links. And, you've, and you find it helps you sleep better? Mm, and the kids. Well, I mean. What more can you say? Yeah, they Definitely love it. Definitely take my money. Shut up yeah, and take my Yeah, there's all these different colours you can put on. Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah, it's really good. Let's go. All right. Well, there you go. A little bit of hack for you and uh, we'll be back <laughs> soon. See you soon. See ya. <laughs> Bye. Bye.